Jess Dung's do- hippie doomsday prepper. Hello, welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode number 117. With me, as always, my two adorable co-hosts. So we have Jess Dunks. I am so adorable. And Brian Brilliman. And Brian Brilliman. Not Hello. Not. Oh. And I don't know how to use the mute button. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also have the most adorable co-host we've ever had on, Justin Turner. I guess you're a guest, not a co-host, but either way. You're uh, our repeating guest. Repeating yeah. guest. I know you're fighting for that Iron Man. I am. I want to be the SNL 15 Tom club. Hanks. Yes. Yeah. I want to be Alec Baldwin. Yeah. I'm cuter than him anyway, and I can sell cars just as well as he can. <laughs> you, you mentioned Tom Hanks. Did you see that uh, that that Carly Rae Jepsen music video with Tom Hanks in it? I've only seen Call Me Maybe. I didn't know Carly Rae Jepsen was alive after that. <laughs> yeah. There's really no need to know. Right. Call Me Maybe is a fine song. I oh, listen to many fantastic. remixes on SoundCloud. Yes. Um, no, what is the, there's a more recent song that she did, um, I don't believe called you. I like you, I think it's called. And, uh, it's, it's in the music video. It's Tom Hanks singing it, even though it's her voice coming out of his mouth. Whoa. That's like that baby geniuses movie. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> Look who's talking right. to. All right. So Turner, what do we have you on? Uh, to talk about today that is not look who's talking, look who's talking to, and look who's talking again. It's he's given nice. us the ABCs. Now. It's looking right? talking now. My bad. Look who's talking now. Yes, that's the one. Uh, the now, dogs. That's music. Thirty-seven. Those are good albums. Yeah, they are. All of them are good. Every single yes, one. Every one of them. They're all hits. Um, somehow, I am here to talk about being a new judge in a place, or being a newly minted judge in a place that you. Frequent uh, being a judge who wants to make your skills marketable, tournament organizers so that they pay you when you ask and don't argue with you about it, and ingratiating yourself both to the ownership and the player base of a community, whether you've been there for a while or just moving there for the first time. Yeah, so the idea is is mostly focused at level ones, maybe new level ones, but maybe mm-hmm. some established ones who just moved into an area. Yeah, or even twos who just went into an area. Sure. Because it's, it's awkward when you roll into a place uh, and they don't know you and you want to judge and you want to help them, but you don't really necessarily know how to. You don't want to just walk up and say, hey, I'm a judge. I want to do your FNMs. Pay me and I'll do it. Right. The They're going to say no. Tio's going to say no. I <laughs> can have got, my counter guy do it. Yeah. We've got a guy behind the counter who runs FNM. Or just nobody runs in. in. Right. Or we got we got guys that answer rules questions. Yeah, we kind of run at Lord of the Flies here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever's got the conch makes the rule. Yeah. That pig head, he's the one. <laughs> and, and if you and if you uh if you commit too many uh, uh mistakes, they put your they sharpen a stick on both ends. It's a bunch that, of spoilers for me here. I have not read, go this. Too deep. Oh. I read that. It's a good book. I never read it. One day. It's about the Florida judge community. All right. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. It's it's like what there's there's all these there's all, around the time that it was written. There were all these stories about like, you know, the kids going on an adventure and the adults aren't around and somehow the kids are able to like pull together and grow up and 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 be productive members of the group. And Lord of the Flies was like, no, 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 no. Here's what really happens with a bunch of kids and no adults. <laughs> they turn into degenerates. Yes. <laughs> and that's the. Florida. Like the Florida Judge community. <laughs> That's why I said it's about the Florida Judge community. Sheldon retired and then, well, <laughs> well, Lord of the Flies. I'm no longer responsible. <laughs> All right. 
<coughs> so yes, that. Yes, that. Let's talk about that. Actually, let's talk about who you are br- very briefly. I know you're you're been a guest with us more times than most. And people, he is but still. so well known. He is so uh, yeah. well known worldwide. There's still yes. people out there. We get new listeners, right? You do, you do. Uh, I'm Justin Turner. I'm a level three judge from Tampa Bay, Florida, and I'm the regional coordinator of the Southeastern United States, and have been so for about three ish years. And uh, I like magic. Yeah. <laughs> You were Judge of the Week once. I was Judge of the Week once, uh, yeah, and I have Judge class attributed to me, though it was much more of a collaboration. Hmm. We were Judge of the Week once, but it uh, didn't really... Didn't you guys record that episode like at a conference in Tallahassee that we did? No, we've never... No. Recorded. No. no. Isn't we that were... where Temple recorded you guys or no, something? No, no, no. He, 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 he recorded wrong. us as a normal episode. The conference recording that I did uh, is still on my hard drive because the editing out of it was, was really hard noise. To, uh no i was just gonna say that <laughs> a, a lot of florida judges just thought it was really really funny to shout obscenities into the microphone so why why is it gotta be florida judges well i'm oppressed <laughs> lord of the flies man right aren't you from florida i am yes so uh, uh could have fooled me yeah i know so the amount of stuff that i have that's airworthy uh did not uh uh, justify being released. Yes. Right. I guess that's the other part for people who don't know me. Most people know of Florida judges. And uh, yeah, that's me. That's you. You're the Florida <laughs> Pretty judge. much all of it's me. <laughs> you're, Flor- you're Florida man. <laughs> At one point or another, it was me. <laughs> and if it wasn't, sure. All right. Okay, there you go. Taking credit again. Uh, yes. Uh, a good leader goes down with the ship. <laughs> all right. So let's, let's move into the actual topic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So so let's let's just talk about I guess briefly you know what an L one is what do they do why do they do it um, yeah yeah so uh, the program defines level one as the store judge they uh, work in a store they are usually very very interactive with the player base usually friends with them sometimes maybe friends family of the person who owns the store they're not expected but generally found running things like fnm and weekly drafts and pre-releases and uh gpts and game days and release events and all that kind of good stuff iqs and such iqs tcg bronzes that kind of stuff if you're american the they usually do it because a lot of them start because they want to know the rules better or they want at least some proof that they know the rules as well as they say they do. Um, a lot of people do it because they want to run tournaments, run the tournaments in their store, didn't have a judge. I get that one a lot. Um, a lot of them want to run and judge these IQs and things that require you to be certified. GPTs, the store wants to begin running those. They need to have a certified judge. So I get a lot of, I need to do this so that I can run these events. Um, that's what they do. And there's there's a there's a few others that that become that become judges just because I don't want to say like peer pressure like they're the yeah. rules guy they're the rules guy and then they're like well since I'm already doing the stuff I might as might well, well be a judge te- might as well be a judge or I'm the store employee <laughs> I mean I know this is this is a little bit off of what we're going on to, uh, the the rest of the no, topic that's a reason it's, it's it's I'm the store employee and the boss man told me. That I should I should get my level one because because that's what level uh, he wants to have a level one at his store. And yeah, one that's seen, already on the payroll. Yeah, I've seen Absolutely. so much as uh, just 
you'll get a raise if you become a level one. Yes, you can run these extra tournaments that make me more money. That's one of the things we'll talk about later. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, that's that's one of the good reasons. A store owner a lot of times will pressure maybe the rules guy, the store or an employee to do it so that he can run these uh, events that he feels are going to bring additional value and impact his bottom line. So the G- local GPTs usually. And then there's the other reason is I get these foils, right? Yes, you do uh, for going to conferences. <laughs> <clears throat> That's about it anymore nowadays. Um, for you newer judges, we used to get cool foils for working big tournaments. Uh, we don't need more. But uh, yeah, conferences and the exemplar program are both ways for you to get these very now ex- super exclusive judge promotional foils. You must be certified to be recognized by the exemplar program. And you must be certified uh, to get the foils for attending a conference as well. You also, must indeed. Also, just to throw this in there, uh, we get <coughs> we get better compensation mm. at these large events now than we did before. And we do. also get foils in the exemplar program. So it's not like they took something <clears throat> away without giving something back. Like We still get good compensation at large mm. events. Yes, actually, I, I do make more than I did when we had foils also. Yeah. That's pretty much scales with the, all the levels, especially level one. Uh, definitely makes more than they did uh, pre-judge foil. Absolutely. Yeah. At least once they started switching it to a level, you know, packet per level. But uh, yeah, this is really relevant with, with those uh, judge foils that were just announced on Wizard <coughs> site. Yes, and damnation first, and yeah. wasteland. The first thing I saw was yeah. a bunch of people being like, "Well, how do how do I be a judge?" And so, uh, yeah, that's pretty pretty common. There's a reason they put that on the mothership there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it does we generate only have interest. 6,000. We need more. Yeah, right? We do. Foils. Yes, and if so, foils are your motivation, provided you're willing to do the work to be a judge and operate in that yep. capacity, I have no problem with that motivation. Yeah, that's that's the important line there, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I said to do it. That's the a disclaimer. Yeah. You can't yes. just certify and then be like, well. Willing to do their work to certify and operate in that capacity. Yeah, and we've we've had that conversation with like letters that people have written into, and I think I think consistently our opinion is, if you do the work, your motivations can be relevant. I'm in it for the money, yeah, or the or the women, or the power, or the whatever, whatever. Sheldon's famous one was, "I want to wield raw power." <laughs> that's why he judged, yep. and that's fine as long as you do the work. Answer. That, you consider that wielding raw raw power, and uh, you want to do the work, knock yourself out. Okay, so um, so that's all the the reasons as to why an L one might might do what they want to do. Now, now let's say you are you've become an L one, uh, and you want to introduce yourself to a store, or you've moved and you want to approach the TO uh, with the store because obviously you want to judge, you want to wield your raw power, yes. you want to you know, get free entry in your FNMs. You want to help the community grow, or you want to just be the, 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 uh, the BMOC. Yeah. Oh, the other, another motivation we, we skipped the, uh, I want to judge GPs. This is the first step. <clears throat> I want to be the guy in black at, you know, the star city opens. Well, I guess the guy in blue at star city opens guy in black at grand prix i want to be on you know the stream at the pro tour how do i start well you start with l1 yep so so you you've now you you've now gotten the level yes good okay congrats you've gotten the level you've maybe done an fnm uh you've been the rules guy at an fn uh, a few fnms that kind of thing now you're ready to start 
talking to the TO about about running his running the events and maybe probably hopefully getting paid for it. Yes. So that's a difficult conversation. It's actually a com- uh, a question I get a lot is I want to be paid. Usually I'm getting asked this question by somebody who has been doing it for free for a while. And so the first point of advice is if you have any desire to be paid, do not begin that relationship by doing it for free. Because it's way harder to dig yourself out of I've been doing this for free and I want to stop doing it for free than to just start not you know, start doing it and getting paid. That is way easier. <clears throat> but uh, the most important thing that I find that I have to educate people on is that they need to consider the TO's perspective. Uh, they need to consider why this TO decided to work and own a card store. Usually not for their health unless they're independently wealthy, um, <laughs> which happens, but uh, they do it to make money. So you need to kind of formulate your conversation and your, uh, I guess, your articulation of what it is you can do for him and for the store in terms of how can I monetize the work that I'm doing for you to make it so what I want you to pay me is actually a cost that makes you money instead of just a cost. So most TOs are going to think that judges that come in and say, hey, <clears throat> I'm going to work your IQ. I want a box. They'll be like, what? Why? Yeah, the, they're going to say, they're going to say, I got to pay X amount of money for the IQ kit. I got to pay Y amount of money for the prize. And then I got to pay you what? Right. You know? I got to keep the lights on. Yeah. I got to get I got to get Z number of players just to break even on that. What's what's the and if I get less than that, I lose money. What's the deal? Right. So you got to come up with things that you're going to do for that store on an ongoing basis. You want to start a relationship that that lasts for a long time. You kind of want to think of yourself less as just a I'm a guy who runs magic tournaments, which, yes, you are. But you want to think of yourself more as like an independent consultant. And independent consultants make their most of their money through repeat business. And that's what you want. You want that relationship where that TO or store owner wants you in their store every week, preferably multiple times a week, because the events that you run are so much different than the events that other people run. And players come to his store just because those are the events that they want to see, the ones that you're in charge of. So those are the kind of things you want to articulate. You want to talk about ways that you will, you have new magic players and that you know how to talk to them, you know how to communicate to them, you know how to market to them to drive them into the store. Uh, you want to talk about different programs and different formats that you're familiar with and things that you'd like to start in his store to bring more players in, ways to outreach to local libraries or college campuses or even you know Facebook board game meetup groups. That kind of thing, just to bring people in the door. Yep. The more people you bring in the door, that's the first thing that he's going to be like, oh, yeah. Uh, so normally, med- judges are, since we come from the, the magic player community, we're normally more in touch. Because the, the, the store owners, th- this is their business and and they're they're putting a lot of energy into not just selling magic cards but also selling the Yu-Gi-Oh cards and keeping the lights on and scheduling things and stuff like that so they might not be as plugged in to the community 
as you are. So right. you can bring that you can bring that forward and be like, hey, you know, an example an example might be this the tiny leaders format. <clears throat> you plugged in, you see you paying attention to stuff on social media, you see it explode, you keeping up on the, the FNM format changes. So you might be like, hey, let's try this. Let's bring people in. Uh, yeah. FNM on this on this new on this new exciting format. <clears throat> you might want to talk to him about the the lucrative nature of buying and selling magic cards. Because uh, like Brian said, a lot of times these guys don't open the store just for magic. A lot of them maybe like comic books, sports cards, general board games, D&D, pen and paper stuff. Who knows? Or they do like card games, but because it's a low margin business, they have to expand and they have to get into miniature games and, and pen and paper and books and comics and that kind of stuff to stay afloat. You can talk to them about how lucrative it can be to buy and sell cards and even offer to do that for him at tournaments where he can see the money that can be made by flipping magic cards. And you can offer to list this stuff on eBay, show them how it goes, try to buy some cards for him while you're working these events like these IQs and these things where people need their last minute stuff and they might not have money on them. And you want to buy some stuff out of their binder to give them you know, their last minute whatever's yeah buying buying and selling singles is is huge you look at the events that you go to where there are vendor booths where they have special positions where they have buyers okay that's because those people know that even if they don't sell a whole lot at that particular at that particular location it's the buying of stuff to be able to sell either online or in their store in their shops back home that really bring in some money for them yeah, I mean, Ben McDowell, another uh, Florida Level 3, and I uh, did vending for uh, PTQ back when we had regular PTQs for Armada, and they gauged the success of their day on how much money they spent. When we spent $5,000 on Magic Cards, they were ecstatic because they just loaded them all up in a box and went back and sold them, you know, for anywhere from 40 to 60% more than they paid. Yeah. Markup, not margin. Yeah. <laughs> So, so that's, that is, you know, then now that's not necessarily saying that you need to do that. However, but you can work to it's encourage, <clears throat> if you're good at that kind of thing, then uh, Ben, Ben, is, Ben McDowell is an example of a person that is very good at that kind yep. of thing, uh, to the point where, uh, they, people, I mean, he was actually, uh, on staff at events to vend. Yep. Like they, and that's what we were. That that one the story I talked to you about. That was him and I together. Yeah. So. All right. So that's, while that's not necessarily a judging thing, that is a, you know, in in the realm of repeat business. Just like store owners want to <clears throat> expand what they what services they have to offer and what business they can bring in and sell with the different, uh, uh, you know, miniatures and stuff like that you can expand what services you have to offer as well. Yep. I mean, they're, because it's difficult. A lot of judges, newer judges, they try to sell the TO strictly on the fact that, you know, good events, well-run tournaments that follow the MTR, that have, you know, real pairing sheets and match slips and have a judge that people can call are better than ones without a judge. And that's true, uh, generally. The player experience is better as long as you have a judge who cares about the player experience. Uh, but it's hard for the TO to see the real value in that because 
if the players that they're spending money anyway, if they're slightly happier, that's really not a thing that impacts him directly. So you can't just go in with that. You want to judge. You want to make money doing it. But you've got to think of yourself as more of a store consultant. You really do. I mean, you've got to you've got to try to impact as many facets of the Magic the Gathering community that that store facilitates as possible. And that could be being buying and selling cards not only helps the store, it does, but it also helps the player base because the more money the store can put into a singles collection, the more they'll have available for their players to play more competitive decks and get better at the game and go to these larger tournaments and be able to play other formats, other and constructed that, formats. And that <clears> equates to more opportunities more money. for you. Yes, more, more events for you to uh, to work and, and get paid for as well. So, so let's let's just Turner. Let's uh, you're you're. So, how would you broach ATO? So, you're you're brand new judge walking into a store. Um, you know, do you do you just walk up to the judge, uh, walk up to the TO, and just be like, "Hi, I'm a judge." Blah blah blah. Bring value X Y Z. Uh, no. I mean, me maybe. I, I'm pretty extroverted, but. Not usually, because you're you're walking in their house. So usually you're going to want to go and you're just going to want to play in a couple tournaments first because you really want to get a feel for the store and how it operates so that you can tailor your ideas for their store and the ways you bring value to it to stuff, holes that you feel they have. If you just walk right in the door and say, hey, I can buy and sell cards. I can make modern happen in your store. I can do these IQs. They're going to get 40 players, blah, 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 blah. And you don't know anything about that community or that store. You don't know if they're already doing those things. You don't know if they want to do those things. So the first thing to do is to ingratiate yourself to the player base. Uh, you want to go in there. You want to play some tournaments. You want to make friends. You want to hang out. You want to talk to them about what things they like about the store, uh, what things they wish the store did that they don't, um, things like that. So that you, when you do talk to the TO about it, you have some ideas. When it comes time to do that, then yeah, you, you talk to the TO and say, hey, I'm so-and-so. I'm a certified judge. I would like to begin officiating your tournaments or judging your events. Most store owners who do any kind of WPN uh, organized play know what a judge is. Because there's a lot of materials that Wizard sends out that tell them that judges are good and that what judges are. So they're aware of it, at least in a theoretical sense, from reading marketing materials from wizards. But that's when they say, okay, well, what are you going to do? Or what do you want to do? What do you mean judge? Then you explain to them, well, this is what I can bring to you. I'd like to find a way to bring more magic players into this store. I'd like to find a way to have you make some more money on these tournaments. And I would like to be able to work them uh, because that's just what I like to do. This is what I'm trained to do. This is what I've taken a test certifying my knowledge to do to make sure your events are fair and fun and also make more money for you and make more value for the players. And usually you're going to get a, well, how are you going to do that? And that's when you start with your ideas. And then what follows that is, but how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> yes. What is it that you want? So here it's, it's time to be, well, it's business. You're an independent contractor, so you need to negotiate. Um, you, the better you are at it, the more you should feel you charge. You should charge. I mean, going to a TO and saying I need a box for F&M is shooting a little bit high. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> most judges that I know in the region that get compensated for F&M, Usually you just get free entry since you're allowed to play and judge at regular REL events. Uh, usually they get like waters and cookies, whatever snacks they have for free. They're allowed behind the counter type thing. 
and that's it. Because realistically, judging regular RLL tournament, just it doesn't. You don't have to be walking the floor the whole time, and you just you can play and just pause your match and go deal with a judge call if you get one. So if you go to the TO and say, I want to get paid this money, and then you stand behind the counter and just scowl at the players for five hours, he's not going to be paying you for very long <laughs> because you're not doing anything. Wait, that's All not right. what I'm supposed to do? No. No. No scowling. You hit it to three and you don't know. <laughs> what Damn, if I, that's what I thought I was supposed to just scowl what at if, players. What if I sold the TO on my ability to scowl at players? <clears throat> well, then you're good to go. You're probably oh, going to get awesome. a raise. There we go. <laughs> Why do I need a judge? Because we scowl really well. <laughs> I like to scowl. And I'm uh, good at it. <laughs> yeah, so like IQs and things of that nature, and this has actually become a, a big question for twos and some threes since the advent of the PPTQ circuit, is what's appropriate to charge a TO for these events. These are smaller events. They are competitive, so you can't play. So you are going to get compensated somehow. But the TO needs to have kind of manage his risk because when you have like say a grand prix a big giant tournament you don't know if you're gonna have a thousand players or three thousand sometimes depending upon the location and the to has to do everything he can to manage how much money he has to outlay up front before players start paying there's a region a reason we see pre-registration go up a month in advance and things of that nature because we were minimizing risk the store level to is gonna do the same thing with a pptq so you walk in there and say i need two boxes they're gonna say whoa you know that's roughly $240 retail. Why? Why? I'm going to need, you know, X players to break even now. I could lose money on this tournament. So a really good way at least to start with these competitive ones like IQs and GPTs is a per player price, either in packs or in dollars. And uh, that way it's scalable. The TO knows what his risk is. He can incorporate it into the entry fee. And actually, I, I uh, encourage some judges to even talk to the players about that. The players have been clamoring for competitive level events. You say, hey, I'm not allowed to play in these. I'm going to need to get paid for my time. So I mean, your entry is going to be 10 and 750 of it is going in the prize pool instead of the whole 100% like you're used to because he needs to pay me for my time. A lot of times the players are going to understand and accept that. And it's so the TO realizes he's not losing any money and he's able to run these tournaments he wasn't running before. So it's just adding to his bottom line. So the, the, the per pack, the per pack player or the, <laughs> the what? packs per player, <laughs> packs per play, <clears throat> the packs per player model is really good, especially with these stores. Like we just recently finished wave one of PPTQs. Yeah. You know, nobody knew how big these things were going to be. Nope. So TOs were contracting you and they were like, <laughs> well, how many? And one of the first questions that they ask you is mm. the TOs, because you are in essence uh, an event specialist, they're going yep. to ask you, well, how many players do you think we're going to get? Mm -hmm. uh, and if your answer is, I don't know. Okay. You need, if you don't have a good sense of that, you you need to uh, uh, adjust your pricing accordingly. Um, like with the PPTQs, how many are you going to get? Well, 12 to 40 was yeah. for wave one was what the estimates were. And it's like, well, how do you know whether you're going to be in the 12 range or in the 40 range? You don't. Yeah. So hmm. something, something that a lot of judges did that is something that adds value is they help the TOs coordinate cross coordinate these PPTQs so that, so that, uh, you know, place A 
you know, down the street doesn't uh, have a PPTQ on the same date as place B, which is 10 miles away or five miles away. Or in the case here in Orlando that we had in season one, three miles down the street. Yes. So that is a service, and the TO all of a sudden doesn't have to worry about any of that. And yes, you're doing that, but that helps justify your box, two boxes, whatever for uh, uh, of the PP the. PPTQ, because since you've deconflicted it with other events, you're going to get more players, he's going to make more money, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, and the other thing it's, it's important to think about is, yeah, you've been contracted to run this event. Say it's an IQ, and, and the TO said, okay, I want to pay you two packs per player. Who, who goes to this IQ? Great. Seems like a reasonable offer. Realize that since you're now being compensated and you're an employee of this store during this tournament, that that event is kind of partly your baby. You know, he's daddy and your mommy, if you will. And you should be ahead of the event trying to bring more people into it because, heck, the more people that show up, the more you're going to get paid and the more the TO is going to make. Everybody wins. So the more he can see things like you starting to organize like some grassroots social media campaigns to get people to come into the store uh, for this event, the more he's going to want you for everything. Because a lot of times these, these store owners just don't have time to do that or they don't have the know-how. They're not as integrated into the community. Or it's just always, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. And then Yeah, tomorrow. or I had my guy do it. I thought he did it. He didn't. <laughs> we, we're, we're used to hearing that. Aren't we? <clears throat> yeah. I thought he put that on the website. Oh. Oh. Or here, here's a here's another uh, service that's, that's unexpected. Um you call up the TO and it's like, hey, I noticed on your webpage you say the event starts at 1, but the sign that you posted in the store says it starts at 12. Yeah, or the information on the Wizards event locator yeah. is different. We have that happen a lot. That's uh, a, so it's, then, and, it's a very common problem. Yeah, and but you being able to look in, you taking the care to check that stuff in advance and bring that to the TO's attention – is going to just further ingratiate that relationship between you two. It's going to engender a lot of good faith and engender a lot of ability to be compensated for your time because you're showing him that you have more value to him even than his employees. You care more about his business and those events. Now let's, a, let's, let's oh, talk about taking that caring too far in the sense of I know, hey, I'm a judge. I know how to do this. You need to do it X, Y, Z. Oh, yeah, don't ever do that. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? This is what you've been trained and certified to do, right? So, you know, most TOs, uh, outside (laughs) of some very large ones, are what you would call a small business owner. They – that usually is their life. Uh, They usually got out of whatever job they had and spent whatever savings they had on opening a store so that they could run things their way because they thought they had a way to succeed. Um, that usually comes with a lot of confidence. Um, and when you start to tell somebody who owns and runs a business how to run their business, that is a good way for you to not ever work in that business. Um, and realize that you don't have to come in like even like Prilliman had said with, oh, hey, I'm this. I know what to do and you don't. Bleh. You can just by making suggestions – that aren't actually taken as suggestions be inadvertently telling the TO how to run their business. And you're going to find that the conversation starts to sour rather rapidly. And uh, 
you're going to, a lot of people will go home and blame it to you. Oh, that guy's a jerk or, you know, that girl's mean. Um, but really you got to understand that they're there. They know what they're doing. They think they've had some moderate success with what they're doing and they don't need somebody they don't know coming in and saying that you're doing it wrong. If you pay me, I'll do it right. <clears throat> Regardless if that's what you said, realize that when you're an independent contractor and you're a consultant, that the message received is the important message, not the message sent. So you need to frame your ideas very calm, very suggestive. Hey, I've heard that this works really well. What do you think about X idea? You take it, take it as it's a collaborative or a cooperative endeavor and not a, hey, I'm, you know, hey, I'm smart. We should do it my way. Yeah, and that's why the consultant model is is a really good model to follow in general because a good consultant does that. They work with a business, not really for a business. So if you have a business owner whose goals are XYZ, your job is to help facilitate that business owner reaching those goals. So that's another part of the conversation you need to have with that business owner. Hey, what does magic mean to your store? Uh, would you like to see it grow how would you like to see it grow? What would that mean to you? Um, how fast? Because sometimes they're just like, well, we just do it kind of because some people come in and buy packs. And they're just really not interested in any kind of organized player growing it. So why waste all your time coming up with all these ideas and trying to get in something that's never going to happen because the store owner just doesn't want to deal with magic? It's important to find out what their goals are and work with them to accomplish them faster than they were doing on their own. And that's and that's really what it what it what it boils down to is you know finding out what their goals are, and yeah. then and then and then framing or or I'll say mas- massaging their goals so that it coincides with your goals of working events and getting paid for it. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and use your personal skills from whatever walk of life that you you work in, or or interact in, or or interested in. Like one of the first ways that I ingratiated myself to getting paid by some of the TOs in my local area was because for in my work life, I'm an accountant. So I would, after, you know, significant relationship building, help them with their cost accounting and their books and show them how to, you know, what their true costs were and how to price things effectively to interact with both, you know, the retail competition space and the online competition space and what the true fees of eBay and PayPal and TCG player reselling and that kind of stuff are. And uh, a lot of people like that because they don't have the, it's not that they can't do it. They just don't usually have the time. So those kind of things can be very helpful. If, if you are, you know, a, uh, a purchasing person, you buy stuff for a living, teach them how to more effectively negotiate. Um, if you do any kind of marketing or advertisement, teach them how to do that better. If you do any kind of graphic design in your spare time, help them design cool flyers to pass out and, and cool graphics to put on their website to entice more people to come visit it. Basically, any kind of skill you can bring, if you can find a way to impact their business with it, bring that skill, not just a rules test. All right. So now let's say you go to the store. Yeah. And they have a guy that runs F and sit in the two nights, the three nights, you know, you play three F and M's and they got a guy. It's a guy behind the counter. He's He's gowls. 
he scouts. He he just sits behind the counter and he plays he plays Clash of Clans or uh, his CJ, name is Jess Dunks. What, no, <laughs> CJ, what's what's the what's the I haven't played Clash right of now? Clans in like Gems of War. Gems of War, man. Gems of War. Yep. There's the. I haven't got Katie on it. Oh well, she can join our clan. I know it. Let me know. I am so not downloading this game. You are, but that's another conversation. <laughs> that's, a, that's a real good game. Yeah, that'll that'll be on our post show uh, 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 Patreon uh, yeah. download. Yes, yes. And you can get it subscribers get only if you join our Patreon. <laughs> if you join, hey, hey, we have like four hey. available slots in the coin. To be clear, we don't have a Patreon. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, don't I think we can make this. Anybody goes looking for it. I think we can yes, make this work. Yes, now. We don't have a Patreon yet. <laughs> you just need Our... the password. Yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> the pass. What is the password? I don't know. I'm not in it. Yeah, he's he's not on our Patreon. I have to host five times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, then you'll is this, get. Is the, this number four for you? This is four, I think. I think this is Maybe the highest three. number. Just for just so you know, to I boost do, your ego. I do oh, think you I'm are well the highest. Aware. His his goal is to to be on the show more than uh, Sean Cannon, A.C. Ricky Hayashi. Yes, I, I, I mean I had originally been pitching to be on it monthly, but I was shot down many times. <laughs> There's only so much. Then I was pitching to be on it weekly, or however often it is you guys record this show. <laughs> we don't even record weekly. Like, Whatever. Honor, that, you should start myself like recording your own episodes, and we'll yes. just have like Justin Turner in the off week. I'll call it driving with judges. Hi, yo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they have a guy. <laughs> and uh, so that that's where it starts to get really difficult, because then you're dealing with, especially depending upon what part of the country you're in, you start dealing with a lot of feelings, a lot of relationships, and you don't want to step on someone's toes because you don't know how, you know, close this guy that they have is to the ownership and management of the store so you usually want to have that conversation with the owner so say you decide that you think you can do a better job than than this guy um because he's scowling the whole time and you would bring players and you would start legacy and you would start tiny leaders and you would do extensive testing in your local meta uh whatever you would uh, be better at it than him. That's what you feel. That's perfectly valid. And that's a conversation you have with a store owner in private. You say, hey, uh, I've <clears throat> been doing this for a while. What would you think if your events were run this way instead? Or is there a way I can help with the guy that you have currently? Maybe I can market and get more people in and help run the tournaments with him and he can input the scores or uh, we can alternate and yeah, he can play one week, available. I can play one week. <clears throat> he's not available every week. Yeah, let me sub. You got to kind of work your way up the totem pole. And it's silly to say in, in, a, in an environment like that that you start at the bottom, but you do. Um, and it's it comes off way better and way more genuine that you're really interested in the business succeeding if you are willing to ask to be the low man on the totem pole. You know, hey, can I mentor under this guy? Can I work some of the tournaments with him? Can I be give you my number and you call me if he's not available, like Perlman said? Anything like that, just be real non-aggressive with it, non-antagonistic. You just you don't want to tell them that this their employee is bad or the person that they've chosen and trusted to work these tournaments. But you want to show them over time how you're better because if you truly think you're better and you are, that should happen. That'll happen organically. You don't have to talk about it. You need to show them. Yeah, if you're if you're better is the important thing to take away from that. And if they aren't seeing it, you can improve yourself to be better. 
Right. Yeah, you, there's a lot of self-reflection that comes in, in this kind of small community. I want to get paid for what I do in this very low margin business because you've really got to be very good and you've got to be very good at things that are going to make a store more money if you expect to be paid on a regular basis for what you do. Be, I mean, that's just the way the world works. It's, it's no matter what. Like if I walked into uh, the Walmart corporate office and said, hey, I want you to pay me to make you run your stores better and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm not very good at it, they're going to laugh and ask me to leave and call the police. <laughs> A store might not necessarily do that, but they're not going to start paying you either just because you say you're good. You've got to try your best to get the opportunities to show them what it is you can do and then actually follow through and do it. And then you're good. The, the following through and doing it, I'll, I'll just say there is so much in the judge program that you will be successful on if you just do what you say you're going to do. Oh, yeah. Don't don't forget. <clears throat> don't. Oh, yeah, I was supposed to do that yesterday, wasn't I? Oh, sorry, I'm late. Just if you say you're going to be somewhere, be somewhere. If you say you're going to run an event, run an event. You know, yes. if you say you're going to do, th you know, if you say you're going to do things well, do things well. Yeah. Artic be able to articulate what well means, though. Don't yeah. just say, I run good events. That doesn't mean anything to a store owner. They already think they run good events. Uh, so just saying, I run good events comes off rather smug. You want to be able to articulate, say, hey, I can do this at your events. I can give very official announcements, run a regimented tournament, make it run on time, enforce time limits and rounds. Everybody gets out of here earlier. All the players are happier because the tournament doesn't drag on. You're happier because you get to leave before three in the morning. Uh, you're also happier because you don't have to stand behind the counter the entire time for players to come up and tell you that they you know, won or lost. I can do that for you. You can concentrate on your business. You know, you want to articulate how right. you're going to you, make these events better. You can be selling sleeves and cards and singles while I'm taking care of the scorekeeping and I'm getting the players running and starting any sort of clock. And I'm keeping track of that kind of thing where I'll, while you can deal with the mom and the three kids that want to buy the new Yu-Gi-Oh! Yes. You know, they want to demo Seven Wonders. You can sit down and play it with them. I'll run your magic tournament. You don't even have to worry about it. You know, I'll I'll take I'll pay out the pack prizes. I'll give you a spreadsheet that shows what we've done. Everything is good. You'll just know it's it's done. It's handled. And one of the big things when we we started running the PTQ is one of the big levels of trust that we were able to reach with our premier tournament organizer is is he would get to the point where we would have a PTQ. He would tell us where it was, and then we would show up. He wouldn't even come. <laughs> we. <laughs> we would just run the whole tournament, uh, take the money, put it in a bag, uh, give him spreadsheets of all the side events, tell him what meet packs him. we gave out and everything. Meet him, and, and meet he, him he at was the Chick-fil-A cool yeah. Chick the next day. And to go, give him the money bag. Here's your money bag and here's your stuff. Yeah, and believe me, if you're after you're holding a money bag from a PTQ, you don't want to be holding that money bag. Yeah. <laughs> No, you definitely do not. <laughs> no. It will make you more paranoid and nervous than you have ever been in your entire life. Uh, Prilliman was a wreck. I have. I did this for a GP once. Oh, my God. Oh, no, that's even worse. <laughs> the, the, the money sack in that case. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> You're just like, I, I feel so unsafe carrying this right now. I, I feel like everyone, like every hotel employee here in Convention Center person is about to jump me. 
Yeah. The thing that uh. made me the biggest wreck. The thing that made me the biggest wreck was having the big giant for back when GPs had foils, having the big giant box of foils. Yes, yeah, so they used actually, to send those to me. Though having that and having the responsibility for that was like I can't put this down. If I put this down, it will disappear. Yep. It has to. It it has to be like the suitcase that the that they have with the with the handcuff. And where you just can't set it down? Oh. Pretty much. Or else it's going to turn into like, you know, a Dumb and Dumber type situation. Yes. Some guys are going to buy a Lambo and leave you an IOU note in the box. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh. I mean, but think about the level of trust. That's the silver lining of those kind of things. You got a guy who who's trusts you so much that you can handle the money, the cash. I mean, that how if you ask to be paid for your services when you're at that level of trust, how could they say no? You've built so much value at that point where they don't even have to be there. Obviously, that is worth money. And that's the spot you really want to get to where you can essentially replace the store employee, the store owner for that facet of the store's business because that is worth money. They, they would normally be paying somebody to do it. Yeah, in fact, Why if not you get pay to, you? If you get to that point and you're not getting paid already, start. Something's wrong. <laughs> right. Uh, you need to fix that. Right. So so let's let's talk briefly about the consequences. Like, what does it mean? Because there are judges that I just want the opportunity. I got to get my foot in the door. I'm willing to do it for free. Yeah, there's a couple of consequences of that. The first is obviously personal consequences. It makes it very, very difficult for you personally, if you start working for free, to stop. There is going to be a point where regardless of your motivation is the money or not, that you're going to feel that your time is worth something. You're going to have kids. You're going to get, you know, move along farther in your personal life. You're going to move farther in the judge program where you start working PTQs and GPs and are getting boxes and packs and money. You're going to think, well, I put all these hours in. At the beginning, I put all these hours of sorry. Why'd you have to swear? Well, well, shoot. I put all these hours <laughs> in, you know, at my local store weekly. I mean, probably if you added up a month, that's how much I work at this GP. And I'm getting paid all this money for it. Why doesn't this guy pay me? Like eventually you're going to hit that moment where you decide you want to be paid. And that conversation is so much more difficult to have with a TO than just walking in and starting that way. Right. It's much easier to get a raise. If you're already being paid, then get a raise from zero, ironically enough. So you're making, you know, say he pays you a pack and a half per player, and then you've, you've actually successfully built a community. His FNMs have, you know, gone up 50% in size maybe over a year and a half period, and you want to go to two packs per player. That's an easy conversation to have instead of, you've been f not paying me for a year and a half, I want you to start. Because the percentage difference is infinite, as opposed to whatever it would be if you were already getting paid. There's there's also there's also the perception of if you don't value your time, why should I as a TO value it? <clears throat> there is that perception. Um, yep. And they will use that. Believe me, yes. uh, store owners a lot of times in some of these, especially in smaller communities, will use volunteer labor. They'll they'll use people who come in and, and just hang out because they have nowhere else to be and they'll just have them sort cards while they're there. And if you're willing to do it, they're willing to allow you to. <laughs> that will happen. And then they're not ever going to, as Perlman says, see the value because you don't clearly see the value if you're not asking for any value in return. And then you have the tertiary uh, issue 
where you have the greater community of judges. The more people who are willing to do it for free means it becomes the norm. And we don't want it to be the norm because everybody, like I said originally, hits that wall where they don't want that to be the case anymore. So the more people that are doing it, it makes it harder for the others to explain to a TO that they want to be compensated for their time. So if it's, say, the TO has owned a store for 10 years and every judge he's ever had has worked for free, and then you walk in there and you say you want a pack per player for FNM or you want free entry and cookies, and he's like, what, why? I've had judges for nine years and I've never paid them. What do you mean pay? Don't they pay you? I actually get that question a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, doesn't Wizards pay you guys? Well, no. You would think. <laughs> hey, I was at I was at an FNM once where the player told me that since I was an employee of Watsy. Oh, am I? Oh yeah, he told me that since I was an employee at Watsy and he bought packs, he was essentially my boss. That didn't happen. <laughs> it did. Oh, he, yes. Turner, I think you're making that up. I didn't no. say it. He did. No, I said it. <laughs> Yeah. And it did not. It it happened at a Scars of Mirrodin, uh, around that time. Uh, FNM uh, over at Phoenix Games. I had a player oh. who was probably about fifty years old uh, get mad at me because he was playing a card that wasn't supposed to be in his deck. And I made him take it out, and he was angry. Listen, he's oh. your boss, all right? He was my he basically my boss. When a player gets yeah. mad at me, I just send him to Turner. Yes, he does. It works out every time. And they usually <laughs> come to me. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, probably a solid 50% of the yeah, time. Yeah, I say, 80%. hey, someone's coming your way. I'm like, oh, here's the email. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's, that's some of the problems with working for free. I mean, at the end of the day, if you really, truly don't care about money and you don't want to be compensated for your time, and you want to work, it knocks yourself out. It's a volunteer organization. If you want to work for no compensation, you just love the community that much and that you get fulfillment from doing it for no value, uh, and the value is not monetary to you, do it. Uh, no one's going to decertify you for that. It's not against the rules. Um, just realize that there are the con you know consequences that we outline, not just to yourself, but also to other judges that come from that kind of decision. Um, it's just important, especially in the modern era of judging, that we, if we value our time, we work to be compensated for that time. But if you don't want to, okay. <laughs> That's fine, too. Yeah, we'll just stand behind the counter and scowl at you. I can't force you, but it's just like... I mean, you just you truly got to think of it as that independent consulting. I keep coming back to that. But if there's a graphic designer who will work for free because he wants to get his name out there, okay, it's free country. No one's telling him he can't do that. Right. What are, what are these – the uh, you see these <clears throat> things online where people post. It's like, oh, this person called me up. Like I'm a musician and he wants me to come work his gig or work his gig for and free. And not pay me. And not pay me but tells me that I'll get the exposure. Right. And then they just kind of go on and it's like, what's that? You don't, you don't ask like a chef to come in your house and cook you dinner for free for the exposure. Right, and that's kind of the attitude – it almost would not be terrible if we as a community developed. Yeah, I agree with that. You can't give away your services for free. Um, and if you if you feel like, you know, it's okay because you have the time right now, you may not always have the time, as was mentioned earlier. And you're, as was mentioned earlier, you're devaluing other judges' time. So say, we keep saying for free, but we also mean, you know, if, if one judge is like, 
I'll work for two and a half packs per player. And another judge is like, well, I'll work for half a pack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once again, like Turner was saying, it's, you know, it's free country. You, it is a volunteer organization. You can do that if you want, but you're really hurting other judges when you compete with them like that. It's true. And also, there are enough judges to go around successfully right now. We have more events going on than we have judges to take care of them. So there's no reason to, to jump in there and uh, and, and kind of undercut another judge like that. No, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you said. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just like CJ was saying, you know, don't do that. Yeah, bad. <laughs> All right. So do we have any closing thoughts on adding value, selling yourself to the TO? I know you don't like that phrasing, Jess, but I I really think of it as that. Well, there's no I mean, selling yourself to the TO is fine. I just didn't like that as the uh, as the title because I think oh. it's it's not just selling yourself to a TO. It's also making sure you could add value to his events. Yeah. So Turner's talked about that already. Is that it's not just telling the TO what you can do for him, but making sure you can actually deliver on it and and making sure you could actually add value to his events. Yeah. And we can. You just got to know how. And some of this stuff, you know, where you say I don't, you just got to know how. You know, where he was talking, uh, mentioned uh, a spreadsheet of here's here's the player entries, here's what the payout is, here's how much money we we put in, that kind of thing. You don't have to know how to do that before you actually do it. No, I just put it all in Excel. Yeah, you just you just here's here's what you got to do. You got to have a plan to do it, and then okay. I need a column for for player. You can kind of figure it out as you go along. You know, I'm going to advertise. Well, how do you how do you advertise? Well, you're on Facebook groups, you're on Twitter, you're on Reddit. You know, post stuff, make comments. Yes. You know how to do that? That's not something necessarily that you have to. Well, I don't have any experience in marketing. You you do though. You do. You just yes, gotta. You just think, don't know it, right? So so realize that you actually. You know, just deciding that you're going to do something a lot of times is me, like 50% of actually figuring out how to do it. Yeah. Think about it. Have I ever influenced anybody to do anything? Have I ever gone to a friend and said, hey, let's go do X? And that friend said, yeah, all right. You marketed. <laughs> do that, that for your That was your a weird store. phrase. You marketed. You did. You did it. That's a marketing experience. That's it. If you can make Achieve somebody do unlocked. something or you can at least influence them to think about doing something and talk about it, you're marketing. Hey, I'm going to this GPT on Saturday. I'm going to be judging it. Who wants to come? Awesome. It really doesn't have to be harder than that. And then show the TO what you did. Show how many likes or comments or whatever. Have people say when they came in the store, oh, you know, Turner sent me. Or, hey, I, I saw this post on Facebook in this group and, and uh, that's why I'm here. Um, so that he can see, or he or she can see you, the effects of your efforts. I mean, that's what it's all about. Uh, not only marketing yourself, but then as, as just had said, making yourself marketable, uh, to a TO, you have to be something that's worth something. And so you have to show it, you have to show it. One of the, the big questions I got at the last conference that we videotaped our little L3 panel question and answer thing was, you know, how do I be L2? How do I stand out? Uh, in the sea of L1s in, a, in an overpopulated, not really overpopulated, but heavily populated judge state like Florida. And it's do stuff. Tell me after you did it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's, Don't that's, say, hey, I want to do this. No. Yeah. 
nope. <laughs> hey, I did this. So say to you, hey, I did a, an, a, an analysis of how much money these events make. And I think if we change this, it'll make more money. Or, hey, I uh, gave all the players uh, feedback cards and I've collated the information. And you seem to have a distinct disparity between a casual crowd and a competitive crowd. Maybe it would be better if we hosted a casual event on a different day of the week and had a competitive event on another day of the week so that these two groups could grow and grow independently and both have events tailored to their needs. What are some ideas you have about that? You know, it's just that that kind of stuff that a store owner might not necessarily think of or have the time to do that can just make the hugest difference to that community, to you, to him or her and the players. All right. I think that might be a good wrap it up point for this topic. Okay. You cool with that? Yeah. I mean, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I talk. You can just tell me to shut up. All right. Shut up. Got it. So I think we're going to have to skip emails on this episode, just like the last two, because we do have a little <laughs> bit of news oh, to wow, discuss. Oh, wow, it's almost 11. Hope. Yeah, right. it's getting a little long. Um, we have a little bit of news to discuss because a new IPG came out, and they actually changed things, but not enough to make a whole entire episode about it. So. And not really functionally. Yeah, So, but we should go over them just real quick. Um, so one thing to start off with is there's going to be a minor change to Miss Triggers, but we're actually going to dedicate our next episode to covering missed triggers in depth. We did it okay. once before when it, the policy was new, but I think it's time to revisit that and just go full out on it. I agree. Um, I've been interacting with a lot of judges on the floor of GPs and even a lot of players at, at larger tournaments, even the Pro Tour, that are still a little confused about the missed trigger policy they and the are. different iterations of triggers and, and how we deal with them because yeah. they're all different. Yeah. Which ones are okay to miss? When did he miss it? So yep. that'll be the next one. So uh, one of the first changes they made is a, is a tiny little change to GRV where we have a set of default fixes is, is what we call them. Or it basically partial times partial. Yeah, partial fixes you can do. They're called default fixes. I don't know why. Um, that's what Toby called them. Anyway, I think that's because he wants you to apply those first and then do a right. rewind. It was yeah. to clarify that what happens first. Do yeah. We see if we rewind or do we do the fixes? So we have a list of partial fixes. And I guess while we're talking about them, one of the changes is we have a new partial fix. <gasps> <gasps> Whoa. Whoa. Is it life totals are wrong? No, no, that is no. not a partial fix. And you can't do that. You have to decide whether or not to rewind. All right. Hold on now. As Hold of this now. writing. Hold as on now. This, as of this recording. <laughs> no. So you get to a table, there's a life total discrepancy. They can't tell when it happened or it happened 10 turns ago and you can't rewind. You just leave the life totals different? No. No. Okay. So what do you You're do? Gonna have, you have to make a decision as to what the what they well, are. There's a difference between a life total discrepancy. So you do fix it. There, hold on. There's a difference between a life total discrepancy and missing taking damage or something like that oh sure 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 all right okay anyway cj cj's like oh i forgot to take uh damage from i forgot to lose life from the uh, uh siege siege rhino uh three turns ago yeah and we both we both didn't write it down well then it didn't happen <laughs> right yeah because you both are in agreement what your life total is right if there if there's a discrepancy fix it yes yeah and that's I actually not talked to Toby about adding that as a partial fix, that we fix a life total discrepancy. And his answer was, well, what would you do otherwise? Right. And I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Got me there. <laughs> uh, Maybe we no. can put it in there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so the new partial fix is uh, if 
if uh, the players forgot or failed to, to declare their blocker order or much more rarely the attacker order, and it suddenly matters, we can have them go ahead and do that now. Yeah, hundred-handed one exists and sealed. Yeah. I am extremely glad that we have this partial fix. because Honestly, this... I don't think it even occurred to me that we didn't have this. Oh, it didn't really to me either. I would just yeah. have them do it. I would just have them do it. I mean... It, it's occurred to me because I've had to deal with it. The, like, the awkward, well, now we need to decide, decide blocker order and we're in the declared blocker step. Fortunately, it's always occurred at regular REL, so this is what I've done anyway. But, yeah. ugh... It's I awesome. think it's relevant because, uh, you know, we have, what's his name, Brimaz in the format. So, you know, I attack with Brimaz, you block, and I'm like, wait, 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 I get a cat. Well, what order are we blocking this cat in? What's happening? Yeah. So, and and one of the reasons why, one of the, the, the complaints that I've heard is, it's like, the non-active player suddenly is like, oh, well, now that it's become relevant, the active player gets to decide the blocking order now that he's got more information. How's that How's that right or how's that fair or anything like that? And the, the answer as to why it's right or fair is normally it became relevant because the non-active player did something. Did something, right. So if, if you're just if, – if, if you think the blocking order – if blocking order, uh, you know, you block with multiple creatures and it's pretty obvious the way that it's going to go down, which it normally is, um, and you're doing something to make it maybe go the other way, I mean you're trying to take advantage of an ambiguity. And no, that's we're we're not gonna let you gain an advantage by taking advantage of a of, of an ambiguity that way that you created, or that you had a part in creating. Yeah, that's actually a really relevant way to articulate that because you'll find, especially any of you judges who are a little bit newer at competitive, you'll have these players who argue that exact thing. Hey, you know, now he gets to know this thing. How are you gonna back that up, or how are you gonna let him change his decision? And you realize that the communication and shortcut policies and the way we, we govern that kind of stuff is based around clarifying ambiguity. And you certainly can't gain an advantage on ambiguity that you created. That's very important part that uh, if you say that usually calms down a lot of those contentious communication disputes. All right. So, All right. so something else that we're able to do now. Okay. Uh, with these partial fixes or the default fixes, <laughs> um, use the right is, word. Yes. Well, you're an engineer. So, hey, man. So, old, old, old policy uh, for these. It was, it was, it was ambiguous as to if you have a situation that, let's say, you can rewind or you can apply the partial fix. Which do you do? Which do you do? And there was like one sentence that implied you did one first, and there was the, the, the next sentence implied that you did the other. Yep. Okay. So what they did was they said, you know what? None of that. We're going to make these now, these, these the partial fixes, we're going to make them the default. So when you walk up to a table, before you evaluate uh, uh, rewind or no, are the, or is one of these default fixes something that you can do? Is that going to solve the problem? And if that solves the problem, then that's what you do. Yeah. Okay. And I honestly, I mean, probably through almost until I was level three, believed it was the opposite way. I remember teaching people in judge class, the way you do a GRV is, okay, can we rewind? Yes or no. If no, can we apply any of these fixes? If no, game state stands, move on. Yes. So so now what we uh, a situation came up recently on the forums where it basically had applying the partial fix made no sense. I think the situation was uh, a person draws a card, 
and then they're supposed to discard a card, but instead of discarding the card, they play it like Whoops. it's a land. So I'm supposed to draw and discard, and instead I draw, play a land. Okay. Yeah. Now they have no cards in hand because That's they a did solid this. looter. Yes. Yes. He's <laughs> um, a very good looter. Okay. If we apply the partial, uh, the default fix, then we're going to have that person discard a card. Well, he's got no cards in hand. So yeah, that doesn't make sense. No. So with the current policy, we are allowed, and I would say it doesn't specifically say that this is with the head judge's uh, permission, but I would say as with all rewinds, you get the head judge's permission. Yep. Um, if the rewind is prior to applying the partial fix, if it's tiny. And yes, and that's how, the important how, part right there. How tiny is tiny? Yeah, well, if it's a minor. Basically what you just said was the amount of tininess. Yeah. yeah, how tiny is It's like an action. Well, you want to think about how can this you know, impact future or current decisions that have been made? How can this rewind break the game? How can it stop this game from organically playing out? And for the and for the most part, in dealing with these in the with these partial fixes, uh, oh wow, you're going. You're I don't know what that to, was. You're going to be able. You're going to be able to just apply it. But what's happened is is in the case where applying the partial fix, okay, does not achieve the desired goal, okay, then a tiny a tiny small itty bitty rewind is is uh, prior to the applying the partial fix is permitted yeah yeah making it so the partial fix works yeah yeah i mean realize the goal of the policy is again you know the game playing out as organically as possible despite human interaction so if you got to bend a little bit to make sure the game plays the way it's supposed to or the fix applies the way it's supposed to so the game runs the way it was supposed to then yeah all right all right so the next one is uh, pretty minor, but it basically says if you find a deckless error, so a deckless error specifically, um, you you wait to apply it until the start of the next round. I think the policy already stated that if you find one in the first round, you wait till the second round to do it. Now it just clarifies if you find a deckless error in any round, wait till the next round. Uh, and this is while you're counting, while you're going yeah. through the lists, while you're doing yeah. catching up on the paperwork of the of the tournament. Yeah, not if it's a mid round deck check. Yes, obviously, yeah. if it's a deck check, you do the game loss immediately, um, even if it's a deck list error during a game loss. But when you're just counting the list, that's fine. And one of the questions I saw was, well, what if I discovered in the final round? And I can't remember who said it, but they're basically like, well, then just don't apply it because who cares? Yeah. At this right. point, it's, it. it's over. Well, uh, they're in top eight, I guess. Unless they're in the top, eight. In top yes. eight, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so ideally, you've think... counted all the lists prior to that point. Yeah. So, what if you say we're at a GP and we're under our, our new deck list counting procedure, where we kind of just kind of count them as we go? We haven't gotten to this one yet, and we've mid round deck checked a person in round three, and the person pulling the list counts and sees fifty nine cards. Do you apply that game loss then, or do you do it at the beginning of the next round? What? That's strictly a deck list error. Yeah. If you've already, if you've, so we've already deck checked them. No, no, we're 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 mid rounding them right now. Your oh, partner oh. is pulling the lists and counting them while they wait for you to swoop. They count fifty nine cards on one of the lists. Do you apply that game loss right now at the mid round so that it would apply to the second game of this match, or do you wait till the beginning of the round uh, after? It's, it's same root call. I mean, you're basically gonna count their list in just a second anyway. So right. let's just roll it all together. So do you apply it now? Yeah, you apply it now. Yeah. Does it say that? Yeah. 
All right, sweet. Probably. I don't know. Probably. Hmm. All right. But it says if you, if you find a deck list error while you're counting lists, in this particular case, the reason why you're counting this list is part of the deck check. Yeah, but that doesn't say that. Yeah, you know what it means. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what I'm trying to clarify. That's, that, was the whole point the, cases. that was the whole point of the question, was to clarify oh. that portion. Okay, I thought, yes. I thought you were just trolling. No, no, no. If you're doing a mid-round and you are counting the list and it's wrong, yes, go ahead and give them that game loss right now. Okay. All right. Um, oh, and the final one is there used to be an upgrade clause for slow play. Now, I'm not talking about when they get multiple slow plays. That has not changed at all. But there used to be an upgrade clause for if it, like, damaged if, the tournament. If it disrupted the game. If yeah. it significantly impacted the results of the of the game. Yeah, I remember us scratching it, our heads trying to figure out what would that mean. Yeah. Right. What's the so, thing you would upgrade? So the best I was able, because I had to, I had to write a paragraph on that sentence for the AIPG. So I had to, you know, like a year ago, I had to research it, and the best I was able to come up with was the lines in there as a tool in case we ever need it. <laughs> and it was, it was okay. Well, when are we ever going to need it? And no one was able to come up with anything. So I just left this real ambiguous. It's like, eh, it's, eh, it's there. If they do it, get them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'll, you'll know it. Make them regret it. it. Maybe. Yeah. So that was removed. Is the point? Yeah. Because nobody, nobody knew could, what it was. Nobody for. could articulate <laughs> yeah. what, it, what it looked like. So it's actually really strange that that part of policy had an alteration for that reason, because most of our policy is crafted based on past experiences. It probably did high have... level deviations and things of that nature. It's probably just been in the i. It's one of these things that's been in the IPG for like it's a, a carryover. Yeah. You know, and just nobody the grandfather clause, right? Is just like, oh, we'll leave it in because it it seems very efficient. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it sounds good. Yeah, you have the ability to upgrade it if it drastically imp- impacts the match. Okay, what's that mean? Right. Oh, don't worry about it. Just <laughs> it's it's in there for a reason. Oh, that's probably what it. It's in there for a reason. Leave it. Yeah, I, I'd be out. interested to hear the stories if and where that was ever used. I've never had it happen or heard of it happening. Yeah. Or or heard of someone who's been able to ex- to explain that they like, knew that happened. Yeah, cuz like most of the, the time stuff, like, most of the time when somebody explains it you're like, "Well, why didn't they give them a warning first in that hypothetical situation?" Well, I mean, like some of the stuff that I could think of already was like in tardiness. Like a guy yeah. is playing and he just gets up and goes to the bathroom and is gone for 20 minutes. Well, that's yeah. in tardiness. The, the only situation I can think of is a guy needs to 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 resleeve between games. Usually, we give an extension for that. No, no, no. We only give an extension if there's a warning involved. Why like, else would we have to resleeve? Because he broke his sleeve. That's only well, one card. Yeah, now he has to go buy sleeves. He doesn't have any spares. Yeah. No, I would just have him yank one of the sleeves out of. Wait, his I'm side not saying part. I'm not saying it's a good scenario. I'm like that is the <laughs> only thing I could think of, like okay. at all. Okay. All right. So we have ways of of not having that be a thing. So they yeah. removed it. Yep. So, so that's all changes. Yep. And then missed triggers, which which we'll talk about next week. Yeah, we'll go over or it in two weeks or who's your host for that? Us. Oh. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> you do see. You yeah. Know what's up, man? I see very well. You know how uh, it is. I'm wearing my glasses. <laughs> Good for you. I mean, I guess. <laughs> No, I'm wearing my glasses for somebody else. What a kind of question is that? What? No, he said good for you. Uh, I didn't hear the good. I just heard for you. I'm like, what? Yes. <laughs> I feel like this is a billing ball. Here's your sign joke. <laughs> <laughs> nope, they're my cats. 
All right. Bitty Kitty needs some glasses. She does. She looks at me with those bug eyes. Nice Janine reference. Solid. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry about that bug eye thing. I'll Sorry. be in my office. I'll be in my <laughs> office, yes. <laughs> and there is our Once for Show Ghostbusters reference. Um, oh, I love it. All right, my, my son, he's five, and he'll go, Daddy, two in the box. And I'll say, you're ready to go. And he'll say, we'll be fast. And then we'll both say, they be slow. Nice. Yes. <laughs> I still have never seen Ghostbusters. Ah, you are the worst. <laughs> Justin met... Little Justin. I heard they're Jeff. remaking it. He met Jeff Williams at the last 5K that I judged. And he said, when I walked him out to the car, when they were getting ready to go over to your house, Perlman. Yeah. Jeff Williams has Vigo's hair. The same ah. hair as Vigo. jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Wizard in the front, party in the back. <laughs> he was a very powerful magician, Mr. <laughs> You're like buzzing a flies to him. Yes. <laughs> he is Vigo. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no. It's funny because yeah. Jeff. Well, it does have Vigo's hair. He does. Yeah, but he doesn't have the widow's peak, but I mean the mullet no. part, I think, is what he was referencing. Yeah, more. Yeah. I love you, Jeff Williams, if you're listening to this for some reason. He's not. He's not listening to this. Whatever. <laughs> it's Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that. All right, gentlemen. <laughs> I think we're going to wrap this show up because I don't think we're doing anything. Oh, I thought we did anymore. that already. No, not yet. So thank All you for right. being on, Turner. You're welcome. Um, Do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, you can plug things. Uh, the judge classes. I know you worked hard on them. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> the judge class is still there and available in like seven languages on the judge wiki. Uh, shout outs to one Adam Hubble for his tireless work and Joel Krebs on the wiki. Um no, I don't really have a whole lot to plug. I got some stuff that's gonna that's in the pipe, but uh, stuff that I can't really talk about on JudgeCast. So, oh, I'm maybe, sorry. Maybe one because it's not official. Oh, 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 oh. official, yeah. official. If you want to buy surge protectors, I make those. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him. <clears throat> um, let's see. We're gonna have a judge conference in the southeast in uh, Maitland. At Cool Stuff, and uh, that's on July the 18th. Is that right, Perlman? That is correct, yes. That's our next Southeastern Judge Conference. So whether you are in the Southeast or you are elsewhere and wish to attend, uh, mark your calendars. July 18th should be a real good time. That's really about the only thing that's going on. That's fine. In the near future. All right, well, thank you again for being on with us. Oh, you're welcome. All right. <laughs> My name's CJ Schrader, and I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks, and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Perlman. I'm here from downtown. I'm here for Mitch and Murray, and I'm here on a mission of mercy. Your name's Levine? You call yourself a salesman? Wow. No. <laughs> I My name's no Justin idea. Turner, and I have degrees in psychology and parapsychology. Uh, <laughs> spores, molds, and fungus. Yes. I was raised like ridiculously fundamental. No, my, my parents shifted between fundamentalist Baptist or Pentecostal and new age. They think they're Indians and go to UFO meetings. It was really kind of a wild ride. <laughs>